With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, January 28th. Man, we got a great show for everybody tonight. We're closing out the month of January in a great way. Tony Spillman from Spillage is our first guest tonight. Ray Van Cole from Child's Play. Ah, we had a busy month this month, didn't we? You know, we always start out slow the first week of January because the holidays are on. We don't really book a lot of guests. We started out with Alan, then we kind of picked up speed after that. All right, and February is no less. We have a lot of guests lined up already. We got a lot more coming up, so I'll put that out there next week. It'll be up on the website probably tonight after tonight's show. But right there, Satan. Man, I love those guys. I was lucky enough to see them twice after getting back together when they came to the U.S. They've been here, I think, maybe three or four times so far since 2011. I wasn't able to get to two of those shows, but I have to tell you, man, Brian Ross, he's like the real deal. Like, what you get on record is what you get live with that guy. He still has the chops. He's just amazing. And I remember 1982, trading tapes with one of my pen pals, you know, in the pre-internet days when we wrote letters to people uh, from England and sending me the Into the Fire demo. And I remember a year or so later walking into Zigzag Records, which was my local record store, and seeing that Satan record up on the wall. At that time, like 1983, my record store was just starting to get imports because, you know, metal was starting to pick up. It was becoming a big thing, and one of the clerks that worked in there kind of knew it, and he was trying to get a hold of a lot of these albums. And I remember going in the set up the wall and said, holy crap, it's Satan, and, and, and just grabbing it and buying it. It was a shame that that lineup kind of fell apart not long after the record. Uh, Michael Jackson, not the singer from the pop rapper, <laughs> you know, joined the band a year later, and then Suspended Sentence came out in 87. Really wasn't a fan of that record. The music was decent, but it kind of lost that Satan feel because Brian Ross, his voice and the guitars of that band are really the sound that makes Satan Satan. But when they got back together in 2011, they put out Life Sentence a year later, Adam by Adam, Cruel Magic, Earth Infernal, each record one better than the next. Absolutely love those guys, and I'm hoping that they come back again soon. I'm pretty sure they will because I can't wait to see them again live. All right, let's keep the music flowing here. We're going to give uh, Tony a call in about 25 minutes or so. Ah, what did I want to play? How about I play some Thatcher, Rob of My Childhood? <laughs> Let's leave the 
All right, we started things off that set with Thatcher, Robbed of My Childhood. I cannot remember the last time I played them on the show. It was many, many, many years ago. After that, Abattoir off that debut record, Game of Death with my boy, Steve Gaines on vocals. Steve's got angry result going for the last, God, 15, 16 years, if not more than that. Check out their newest record. And their city's Cruel Sea, New York's finest. Man, I was such a big fan of those guys. They were like truly one of New York's premier bands back in the club day. Lamore here in Brooklyn. It was them and White Line. This was the days before White Line was signed and before they became a really commercial, you know, like hard rock band. They were a much heavier band live. One day I have to dig up some of the live tapes I have, transfer them, and play some of the songs. They were much faster, much better. They went in a different direction. They were managed by the owners of Lamore's and they took them more of a commercial direction. But cities. I mean, every time they played, the place was packed. And they didn't play that often. They came around every couple of months. I mean, came around. They lived in the neighborhood, but they didn't play that often. So when it, they did play, it was like an event. And they had everything going for them. They had the looks. They had the music. They had the state show. It just didn't happen. By the time the record came out, the scene was already turning. You know, and it just didn't work for them. But they got back together a couple of times over the years for one-off shows here and there. And uh, nothing more than that. I know we've had Sal Italiano on the show multiple times. Steve Moranovich. I'm going to reach out to Ronnie Angel, try to get him on the show. Uh, the singer of the band. Uh, I got him on Facebook. Maybe I'll try to reach out. He lives out here in Staten Island right next to me. So maybe i just walk over there. But I'm going to reach out to Ronnie, try to get him on the show maybe next month if I can. AJ Piero. The only way we get in touch with him is if we get the Long Island Medium, Teresa Caputo, on it because he's long gone now. But they were a great band. All right, you know what? We have about six minutes left. Let me play something off the latest Spillage record, Phase 4. This is called Rise of the Machines. And then we'll get Tony on the line right after this song.
Man, that is so good. It came off the latest record, Phase 4, which was released, I think, about four or five months ago in September. We'll find that in a few minutes. Let's get Tony on the line. Let's get this interview going here. Hello. Tony, this is Mike. You're on the air live. How are you? Hey, Mike, I'm well, man. It must be you guys from New York because my fucking phone... Oh, I'm sorry about saying that word if I nah, can't you, say you that. Can, nah, you can curse. It's okay. Uh, it said scam. It said scam likely, so I figured out it must be those cats from New York. <laughs> There's always a scam going on. Yeah, I don't know. From the studio when you dial out, I don't know what, what comes up. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just hacking on you, but you know uh, it's true, you know. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on here today. And being a fan of your music, going back to the Earth and Grave days, I mean, I've been with Spillage since oh. the beginning, and Phase 4 just blew me away when it came out last year. And it's not that far ago. It's only about four months ago. Oh, uh, yeah, man. Well, wow. I, man, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate that. Uh, it's my pleasure. I mean, so how does this all go, I mean, with the band? I, I think Earth and Grave kind of broke up around the same time that Spillage got going. Was that, was that the case? Well, well, yeah, you know, actually, you know, historically, you know, I had started Spillage when I was still in uh, Arizona. You know, I was out living in Phoenix working, uh, you know, production, you know, like an, another one of your New Yorkers. You know, I, I did the prong tour and, you know, stuff like that. But I, I was living out there for a bit. But I, when I moved back to Chicago, I got involved, uh, you know, back with Ron Holzner, you know, which, uh, you know, with Earth and Grave. Yeah. And uh, but. He was in trouble, you know, and then, and, 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 you know, so it was one of those things we, you know, you know how it goes, you know, it was like, you know, you know, so I got involved with Earth and Grave and did that, but I was doing, uh, starting to do spillage prior to that, you know, I was just doing a, you know, like a project thing and, um, and, uh, you know, um, and, you know, when uh, Earth and Grave uh, disbanded, uh, you know, I went straight into, uh, you know, doing the spillage thing. So it was it was kind of simultaneously. Yeah. But before that, with the spillage, like I said, it was going to be a project. So you really did you really have anything going at that point in time with the band? Was it just like the ideas of what you wanted to do? Were you writing some music? But nothing was recorded that far back. Well, you know, it was a project thing because actually, Mike, I was in the process of like kind of retiring uh, from the music business. You know, I had been doing this stuff for a long time and, yeah. uh, you know, and it is really kind of a young man's game, you know, to be fair about it. Um, uh, however, um, you know, I, I'm glad uh, that I was able to um, uh, pursue, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, and it's only really due uh, to the, the cats in the band, you know, um, uh, you know, the rest of the guys in Spillage. But, yeah, no, it was just going to be a project, uh, you know, uh, thing, you know, Bruce Franklin in Trouble, you know, Lothar Keller, you know, vocals, you know, uh, we were just some songs that I had written and it, it was going to be it, but uh but then, you know, we decided to move forward, and that's where, you know, Blood of Angels, Electric Exorcist, and now Phase 4 uh, has come up. Yeah, and Lothar was on the first record. There's that, there's that whole connection, like, between a lot of you guys with, you know, The Skull and Trouble. There's, there's that connection between all the Earth and Grave, Retrograve. There's all, like, that little connection between everybody up there. Well, it, it all it all really stems from the trouble background, you know. I mean, uh, you know, for 
for me, uh, well, trouble, you know, as far as like the, the you know, people want to say doom, but it, I'm going to, I'll just call them just like what I would, you know, think spillage is like a, just a heavy rock, you know, band. Um, however, you know, the doom uh, community is awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it really all stems back from that, at least uh, from here historically. Uh, you know, it all, because, you know, Ron Holzner, uh, you know, actually I was uh, working for Trouble back uh, 81, 80, 81 um, uh, on that other planet called Earth. You know, remember that? I know you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, and uh, so uh, and then Ron Holzer, he actually came uh, to work for Trouble as Rick uh, Rick Wartell's guitar tech. Um, I mean, I hired him as you know to come on and help us. You know, because I I actually at that time as a kid myself. Uh, I, you know, I was running the crew. And um, so that's where that, that whole thing stems from, you know, uh, trouble, you know, um, you know, has moved on. And then, so then of course, you know, over the, over the time, you know, uh, Ron Holzner and then Eric Wagner, uh, you know, they, they formed the skull and that's where Lotar, uh, you know, of course, Keller had left spillage uh, because again, it was a recording project, you know, and uh, he started playing with Ron Holzner and Eric Wagner in the skull, uh, along with Willie Max, who played bass on the first Spillage record and everything. So we had this record, and we were going to move forward, and, uh, you know, our, our lead singer and bass player was going on tour with the, the new skull, you know, because that was the very first, you know, uh, figuration of the skull at the time, so... True. I didn't know you were. I didn't know you were trouble that far back. Cause I remember taking a road trip in the eighties to to Chicago to see Trouble. At, I think it was the Thirsty Well was the name of the place. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I could have run into. It. I didn't even know it back then. Yeah. Well, I had uh, started working with Trouble um, of a few years. Yeah, at least three years before the the first record came out. So it's probably between eighty and eighty one. Uh, like I said, I was 17. Uh, so uh, the, the, the history uh, goes back. You know, Jeff Olson, the original drummer, they call Ole yeah. and Tim Brown, uh, bass player. Um, you know, well, not actually originally. They were second. But anyways, that's how far the history for I, for me goes back. Uh, you know, I, uh, Jeff, uh, the drummer for them, was my seventh grade basketball coach. So, wow. <laughs> like, so we go back a long way. Yeah. So, um, but... Uh, you know, so, uh, but t- to be fair about that whole Chicago doom thing, yeah, it all stems back uh, really, really to trouble. And then, uh, you know, I moved back uh, from Phoenix, Arizona to Chicago and Ron, he was playing in a band, uh, Debris Incorporated, I believe it was at that time or something. And I was doing, I did a lot of guitar work, you know, that's, a, a, you know, guitar teching. You know, I worked for Prong and Ministry and, uh, you know, that's what reminded me when I was listening to the show. Was rem- you were reminded me a Tommy Victor and our our funny talks we had uh but uh but um you know but uh yeah so I'm sorry to make a long-winded thing <laughs> I actually I was with Bruce Franklin he took me out for lunch today because it was my birthday uh coming up on Wednesday so uh so you'll have to forgive me I had a that's drinks. okay yeah. it's all right well happy birthday case <laughs> I forget my Wednesday, but happy birthday today and enjoy but yeah. you know just just such a man when you talking about like the band, like you could say, this village a hard rock band. For some reason, the music kind of takes me back to the seventies, to the late seventies. Is that 
there's yeah. a vibe that goes on, you know, like the 70s, early 80s when there was like riff playing and stuff like that and where, you know, the songs were just simple yeah. and plain. I don't want to, I don't mean simple like you can't write a song. I mean, just, they just hit you right in the gut. The, you know, the melody sticks with you, the riff sticks with you. That's how I always look to spill right it. Yeah, man. No, that's our goal, Mike. Uh, that's that's actually that was uh, that's what a, a riff rock band. I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, that's what uh, when I was trying to do spillage, and it gets me excited when you catch that because that that is totally my goal or our goal. I'll say as the band is is that my vision was a riff rock band. You know, just like those, you know, like the the, the seventies. You know, like Ted Nugent and UFOs and Black Sabbath. You know, where. They, they grabbed you with the riff, but then, I mean, you know, here was the thing. All right, check this out. Like, when I was first part, starting to play guitar and, like, the songs, I could play, like, the riff, but then they get into the bridge and the melodies, and you're like, oh, you can't play that song because, you know, because the musicianship came involved, and that's what we were trying to re recreate, you know? We weren't trying to make a new wheel. We were just trying to put a spillage spin on it, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, that riff rock, and then you add your harmonies and melodies, and you you, you change your keys with some, uh, you know, uh, beat changes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so I, I'm glad that that was our goal, Mike, honestly. So. You you accomplished it, in my opinion. I mean, the last couple of records was just outstanding. And you, know, you think of the name Spillage, uh, I know it's a play on your name, you know, with the word. But I heard that Billy was upset because it could have been Billage, and he just said, I don't know why we didn't go with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, actually, I'd like to to, to, get, to get the uh, credit for uh, that, but um, I was still in Phoenix at the time, and and the original name that I was going to do for this project was going to be Faded, you know, because I, you know, I was getting a little bit up there in the age, and I was, you know, I figured it was a riff rock thing, so it was older, and I thought, you know, I was thinking denim ish, you know what I mean, flannel denim type yeah. thing, you know, Faded. And uh, and then there was like you know a bazillion like things out there called faded and issues and, and stuff and so uh, and so this a guy from uh, Eric Braverman of Killing Time Productions uh, was one of the companies I worked for actually he was getting me my uh, guitar gigs um, was uh, he's like well why don't you just call it spillage like it's like spillaging out of you and stuff and then we all laugh you're like ah you know because you're in Arizona they're all like hippies you know they're like <laughs> right on dude you know you never know how they talk out there because I mean like from New Yorkers you know you guys got your own thing and everybody says Chicago's got their own talk you know yeah. so you know so it's what it is. I mean, me and Tommy Victor, we would we had all kinds of conversations about our accents uh, as we were on tour. But um, but you know how it is, you know. So that's that's really where it came. It came out about that. You know. True. Uh, Tommy Victor's a great guy. I love Tommy. He was the sound man at CBGB's. Uh, he did the sound for my band dozens and dozens of times over the years. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he didn't make a lot of friends with some uh, IT guys that he called them on tour. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, but he was a great sound man. I, 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 I give him that. The, the sound he came up with was incredible uh, over there. Yeah, he's a funny cat. Yeah, I, I love him. Yeah, it's the New Yorker. What are you going to do? That's just the way we are here. I that, know, right, right, right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tony, you were saying before that you know you feel like it's a young man's game now, uh, but I think you could keep going on and on forever because the music you're creating just keeps getting better and better with every record. So. Is this like the last hurrah for Spillage, or are you going to keep this thing going? Maybe not so much in the live front if that gets to be too much, but, you know, studio work? 
Well, yeah, you know, Mike, what we're trying to do is find a way to re- continue to recreate ourselves is that, you know, the world keeps changing. Uh, you know, it's not like how it was or, you know, uh, back, you know, even 20 years for, ago for that matter. Uh, but, you know, um, physical sales are just non-existent these days. It's unfortunate. Yeah. But so, you know, uh, but it, do, it doesn't cost any less to make it. True. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, not just that, and so uh, you know, uh, it, you know, streaming is a thing, and it's and you know, we all seen it coming with the Napster thing a hundred years ago. You know, I mean, uh, so I mean, it, it it just became the thing. You know, the Spillage record was out on the dark web before I got it. So wow. I mean, it was a, yeah. So and there's nothing, I, I don't, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I mean, so um, I mean, as much as you'd like to think you can, there you go. Um, uh, however, the real music fans, Mike, you know, when I was listening to your show and, uh, you know, you, you're playing a lot of the traditional old metal and, and stuff like that. And yeah. you know, God bless you. I appreciate that. But, um, uh, you know, those guys, uh, you know, they still, there's still something about holding a vinyl. And that's one of the things that spillage. We like the vinyl because we're all old coots too. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we want to do the Geritol tour as much as the next old cat, you know, but, um, uh, but you know, so we still like the the vinyl uh, stuff. But um, so yeah, no, we're not done as a band. You know, as a long-winded answer, uh, we have a uh, you know a, a few things uh, that we're working on. You know, presently, like new material. So we're just going to figure out a way. Um, well, we're trying to figure out a way uh, to move forward in this crazy new world. What do you think? What do you think is a, a vile option? I mean, what do you think? Well, I want you to keep going for one, but it seems like Vine, like me, I get all this music for free because of the radio show. You know, everybody sends me the music, the labels, yet I still go out and buy it when it comes out. Because that's how right, I, that's right. how that's where I came from. I come from the seventies and eighties where a record came right. out, and you went and bought, and you didn't know what you were getting half the time. You just looked at the album cover, you saw, oh, man, that looks pretty right. cool. You know, you know, there was none of this was promoted in in Hip Parade or Circus Magazine, which were only two magazines back mm-hmm. in in those days. And I still buy the vinyl. Right. I mean, if it's not on vinyl, I'll get the CD. But I prefer the vinyl because you know I got that stereo sitting in my house for fifty two years now. I got to make use out of it, so <laughs> I put it on my record right. player. But I, I I can only imagine being in a bit how difficult it has to be. I mean. You can't reinvent the wheel. You got to hope that the diehards buy it. But like I said, you can't get it for free somewhere in the internet. You do a couple of searches, and something will pop up anywhere of every record you can get it. But you know, you really should be buying the record. You really should be buying the vinyl. I know a lot of bands. A lot of bands are going on. They use Bandcamp. They figure that's like the best option for them. I guess they keep a little bit more mm-hmm. of the money. I really don't know where it's going. I mean, you know, the vinyl records. I mean, they're back. They've been back for years now. People should be buying them. Not every label could put them out, but if you could, buy them. Hey, you know what? I'm glad that you brought Bandcamp up, and it's not that I'm a proactive of any company, and I'm not going to like uh, you know splash or promote anything. But you know, we have of course a personal website. You can go and buy all of our material at spillage-online.com. You know, and you you can buy it directly from us, and there's no. Um, there's no service charge, you know, we get, uh, you know, the money comes directly to us with it, you know, and, and we take care of everything. But I'll tell you what, Bandcamp is great for bands. Uh, we get more sales out of Bandcamp. I mean, 
70 to 80% of our sales would probably come out of Bandcamp over our website. Now, yeah, we have to pay, uh, they pay a, you know, a percentage and, you know, and it varies, you know, after you pay a certain amount, then you get something free or whatever. I don't even know. It gets too stupid for me. I don't even want to pay attention to that, but, um, but I'll tell you what, but, but we make more of our sales through Bandcamp and through all this. So I'm, I'm just like, God bless them, man, because they're giving bands, uh, uh, you know, unlabeled, uh, independent label bands opportunities to sell their merchandise all, all worldwide. And so, man, right? You know what I'm saying? It's not back like on the Kerrang, early Kerrang things when everybody was fucking freaking passing around uh, uh, cassette tapes. Remember that? <laughs> Are you there? Yeah, Tony, can you hear me? Yeah, I got okay, you. Okay, yeah, 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 it just dropped for a second there. But I, I was saying, you know, I come from a, a place where, you know, I used to trade cassettes and, and demo tapes as a kid in, in the late eight, in the early no. 80s to the late 80s. That's how I discovered all the new bands back then. But I still went and bought yeah. those records. Even like, you know, somebody sent me a whole record on tape. I went and bought it when it came out because that's the mentality that we had. I think the kids today right. want everything for free. That's the problem that we have with this generation that they want yeah. to expect everything to be given to them. They don't want to work for nothing. But as a band, you know, you had the you go back to the 70s where the record companies were king everybody wanted to get signed to a label and then people thought it was going to start changing as time went on and, and the, the downloads started happening and then the internet came about it just made it another another form of you know I don't know what the right word is, but it just turned it into another form of somebody taking advantage of the bands. You know, whether it's Spotify or all those other places, bands are always being taken advantage of. That's the whole thing. It's a business. I get that. Everybody has to make some money doing it, but, you know, the bands should be making the bulk of the money. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, the, the digital world, you know, all you won't find a musician that will agree with any of the Spotify stuff like that because it's just terrible, uh, you know. Um, you know, it, and, and that's the reality of it. But, you know, the other thing, Mike, is like back, you know, in the well, the 70s was prior to my recording experience, you know, even though I was involved in music. But like even from the 80s and things like that on, you know, uh, what back then prior to the digital world, I mean, you know, you you needed to be signed uh, to be able to put out uh, material because it costs so much for recording, you know, like the, the tape, yeah. uh, you know, the two inch tape was expensive. And so there wasn't, you know, too many like, Oh, I'll redo that one. You know, I, let me do that track over again, you know, because it, you know, if you messed it up too many times then you had to cut the tape because otherwise then you compromise <laughs> the sound integrity. So if you didn't have your shit together, you know what I'm saying? You weren't recording because you, unless you had some rich cat in your band, you know I, what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, I, listen, I was in a band in the 80s, uh, in, in a hardcore band, and I remember we always mm -hmm. save up money going to the studio to record. We rehearsed, 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 so when we got in there, we could knock it out because we had a little amount of time for the recording because then you realize you gotta have <laughs> right. you got to have more money for the hours to mix it and get it all put together. Yeah. And yeah. I remember every time we go in there, if somebody made a mistake, I would blow a stack, kicking and throwing things around because we have to start <laughs> over again. We're wasting time. It's a, and that, you're talking maybe it was forty five, fifty dollars an hour back then. But for a seventeen year old kid, that was yeah. a lot of money to come up with for five, six Heck hours. Yeah. But you know, it's just it's yeah. a crazy business and a crazy world. But I'm, I'm glad that you're in it and you're still doing it. That's the most important thing. But I mean, what do you find to be the hardest part or the biggest challenge about being in a band today? Is it just 
getting your product out there to people or trying to line up live shows to keep active and busy? Or is live shows really that important to the band right now? Yeah, no, live shows are very important. Actually, we look very much forward to, to be able to do live shows. They become much more difficult to get because, uh, because, and not so much just because of our age, you know, it's like, but I'm not sleeping in a van overnight anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I would never expect any of my guys to either. However, um, you know, it's, Tours, uh, you can't sus- be sustain are not sustainable. Okay, and to say it lightly, uh, it's just there's no money to be made out there. So, um, you know, uh, it's it, it's difficult. Now, young people, you know, like you know, if they, they're willing to get out there and do that, and you know, and I've done it, you know, sleep in the van and do all that stuff. Um, but that that's not where we're at. Um, you know. Uh, so, like I said, we're we're trying to figure out a way to, um, uh, you know, how we're going to move to this next level, you know. So. Yeah, I get that. So, I mean, really, you just got to pick and choose where you want to play and when you want to play if it's feasible for you to do it. Because you don't want to go there, you know, and come out, you know, on the losing end of anything. Well, I, I don't mind for the right opportunity to invest, uh, you know, and things like that for the right opportunity. But what it really comes down to is, um, uh, like, you know, uh, being able to travel, to tour. Uh, you know, the economy is what it is. And, um, you know, uh, you know, it's just it, it costs, you know, they're – Clubs, all the good clubs are filled up with, you know, cover bands or tribute bands and and things like that. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, the the nice clubs, you know, they want you to pay $500 to $1,000 in production fees off the top, you know. And it's like, you know, I won't do it, you know. And so, uh, you know. Yeah, it kind of sucks. I get. I mean, you've played in cover bands before, and you've played in tribute bands and stuff like that. I mean, do you find it more getting to become more and more difficult to compete against these bands that they go to a club, they they hire any kind of you know cover band, a tribute band, they get paid a decent amount of money for playing in, in a club, and a band recording and playing live music it, it has a hard time getting into that club doing the same thing. Yeah, well, you know, um, a bunch of years ago, I played in an Alice in Chains uh, tribute band. Um, it was over twenty years ago, and uh, and I and I made much more money playing in that uh, band than I ever did, uh, you know, in any of my um, original outfits you know and i so i don't i don't discredit them i mean you know uh you know I, i'm glad that you know you're out there people are playing music it's just um and and, and I, to be fair mike you know uh really uh, before the pandemic uh and all that stuff um you know it was it was different i mean you know uh you know you could get out there and do your own tour and sustain it you know um you know we did a bunch of them you know uh but it was it just seemed like after that uh you know the economy and uh, just the the club availabilities. You know, in some areas you had to have vaccinations. Uh, some areas, you know, you, you required whatever. You know, and so then that really were. And it wasn't just bands of our level. I mean, I I know I can tell you stories of you know Bruce Franklin told me of him and Mike Mott from March Enemy were talking on their tour a couple years ago that he was dropped in production because they were losing money. You know, and it's like, you know, if you look at the band like Michael Shanker or Yuli Roth or uh, like, you know, Accept, you know, tours around every now and then. And, uh, 
Uh, and, you know, and the other things, they're playing like venues out here that are theaters when they usually are playing, you know, 3,000 to 5,000 seat venues. And now they're playing to, you know, 500 to 1,000 seat, or, you know, theaters. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely turned. Yeah, no, right? things have, things right. have, I think one of it is after COVID, so many bands that were able to finally get back out and start playing again or tours that were canceled, put back on again. There were too many shows happening at one time, and I get it. Everybody wanted to get back. The only way you can make money is being out on tour playing live if you're a band at that level. So you had five or six shows coming through a week. You know, bands couldn't, you know, people just couldn't afford it because then the economy started tanking again. It, it was like a no-win situation for everybody all around. The bands lost clubs that they could play in, tours they could go on. I mean, look, Udo mm-hmm. Dirk Schneider was supposed to come here last year, had to cancel it because of money issues. He's coming back around this year. Mm-hmm. might happen again. You know, you, you can't say Anthrax, cancel the European tour. Couldn't afford to go what? over there. I mean, it's, it's bands at every level mm-hmm. that, it, that, it, that it affected, mm-hmm. and that kind of sucks. Right. And see, so, and so like bands at our level, which, you know, on the slower level, if we can't get out there and at least sustain that, then we can't sell five records last night, you know? Oh, we sold five records and seven CDs, you know what I mean? Which is, or, or, or even not even that, you know? Well, we, you know, we sold two t-shirts and, you know what I mean? But then you go to the next town and, you know, you, you played a door show. You maybe made 80 bucks. You maybe made 120 bucks on perch. And now, you know, you had a $300 hotel room and you got $500 of gas to get from wherever you're going to the next place, you know? Yeah, it's it's always been a rough business, you know, and I feel like we've gone full circle from doing it yourself to everybody else doing it for you, back to doing it yourself again. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony, talking about the music and spillage, one thing I always said about the band was that I think you've been the most consistent. Besides just putting out quality music, it's been consistent. Like, every two years, there's a record. You know, there was a live record in between the first uh-huh. one and the second one, but there's music every two years from you guys, pretty much. Yeah. Well, you know, again, I am fortunate to have these crazy cats in the band. Um, you know, we have, uh, and, and we're start, we're in a role too, you know, um, you know, once Elvin and Billy came into the fold, uh, it's just, it's just like, um, you know, uh, we had a bunch of creative people and we have all these other different ideas, uh, of, of different like sounds that we hear. And, and so, uh, it's it's a lot of fun creating music with these guys, you know. But uh, I, I can tell you this, though, Mike, is, is that we do hold ourselves to a high standard. And each time a record comes out, we go, oh, how are we going to beat that one, <laughs> you know? Well, you're going to have a tough time with the next one because Phase 4 was just amazing. And Elvin is such a great singer. Uh, I remember him from Pain Savior. I think that was like 15 or 16 years yeah. ago he was with that band. He, he's just right. a powerhouse, that right. guy. Yeah, that's how I met him. That's how I met him. Is I, I was wor- I was doing radio at that time, and I I did I interviewed him, and you know, and uh, Tracy G, and it was just a great interview, and I, I just he's just a but he, everybody loves Alvin, dude, man. I'm telling you, man, that dude not, always smiling. I mean, he's like, you know, I remember we were doing that Electric Exorcist video, and it's supposed to be like scary and dark and everything, and he's like, here's Alvin <laughs> smiling. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I'm, su- I'm surprised Tracy G didn't knock the smile off his face. Uh, Tracy, I have never met him, but from what I, my understanding and everything I've ever heard about him, and then the Elvin's correspondence with him is he's just a wonderful gentleman. So I no, don't he know is. Else I've had him on my show a few times. He's a, he's a sweetheart of a guy. He just took a bad yeah. hit from like when he was with Dio because I felt he changed the whole sound, the style of Dio when he was in there. But that was Ronnie making the call, not him. 
Yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, yeah, you know, all those are all band politics. I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you guys are the media. You guys can do all that stuff. What I can say about Tracy is he is a very unique player. He has a very unique style all unto his own, and that is something um, in its own. You know, I mean, there's there's only a few people that you could say that about. You know what I mean? That's very true. Uh, very true. Mm-hmm. Tony, I'm going to have to let you go in a few minutes because I want to play some more music yeah, uh, off the album. I got yeah. another guest coming up, but what do you got planned for this year? I mean, you know, 2024 is just getting started. What's in the, in the, uh-huh. in the cards for Spillage? Uh, well, we're uh, just finishing up a break, um, uh, you know, here after the holidays, you know, uh, I'm getting some <laughs> equipment repairs in my head. Is actually, I'm getting it retubed and everything. Else. So we're going to be reconvening here. Um, and I think in two weeks, and uh, we, like I said, we have a couple of new ideas that are going on. As far as uh, promoting uh, and shows, we will be doing shows uh, to pr- finish to promote this um, uh, Phase Four uh, record. We have a couple of things that are in uh, the works um, as far as festivals this summer again. Uh, so um, as soon as uh, more things come that are defined, I'll, I'll be posting them. Yeah, I'm hoping one day I can get there to Chicago to see you guys play live. If not, I'm hoping you can make a hit in New York. Yeah, man, uh, I, and I hope so, too. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends out there that keep saying that, too, uh, especially up there in Poughkeepsie. So, uh, but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I, Mike, but I totally appreciate you, uh, you know, supporting us and live music and local music and uh, metal music. And if you uh, message me, uh, you, you know, your personal uh, information, I'll be happy to get you. Uh, if you'd like vinyl, I'll be happy to send you out some uh, spillage vinyl. That sounds great, my friend. I will definitely do that. And when the next record comes out, you come back on the show. We'll do this all over again. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, my friend. You take care. You have a great afternoon. Yep, you too. Thanks again for your support, bro. You got it, Tony. Here you go. Let's get some spillage on. How's Nailbiter?
Man, those guys are so good. Absolutely love Spillage. There you go, nail biter. I'm going to get on one or two more songs if I can. Then I'm going to get Ray on the line from Child's Play. We'll talk to Ray. Uh, I was notified this week by Spreaker. They notified myself and the 10,000 other hosts on here that as of the end of this year, they are, no go- they are not going to allow any host to do a live show anymore. So I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, the show is going to continue on, but we cannot do a live program after December 29th. I don't know. It must be some money-saving measure or something, which I don't get because they charge you a fortune to do your show on here. <laughs> so I don't really get it, but I'm trying to get some info from them uh, to see what's happening. And if it's only going to be pre-recorded shows, they're going to have to pre-record the show and do it, but then the chat won't be open. We won't have anybody in the chat room anymore, so it's kind of new. They just sent this letter out, and everybody's firing off different letters to the customer service to find out what's happening, but it looks like after the end of this year, we won't be able to do the show live, which kind of sucks, because I've been doing the show live for almost 16 years now, and it won't feel the same if I'm pre-recording it. Even though if I pre-record it, I'm going to do it the exact same way I do the live show. I'm going to have my guest call in during it, pre-record it, and put it on live, well, not live, but record it right after. I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out myself, but we'll see what happens. All right, Christian wanted to hear Marta, Black Sun. Let's get that on for him.
Armada. They are so good. Love it. All right, we're going to call up uh, Ray in about five minutes or so. I'll play a song off the Child's Play record. Uh, I was listening to the new Riot 5. It's actually pretty good. I mean, I just wish they wouldn't use the name Riot. But, you know, the original records that they've put out without Mark Real have all been good, but the newest one is really good. And I know we're going to have some of the members of the band doing interviews in the next few weeks. We'll have them on here. I guess I'll have to ask them why they keep using the name Riot 5. <laughs> but it really is a good record. Feel the fire. We'll play that after the interview, okay? Uh, before that, uh, there's Durbin. Uh, I forgot his name. What is it? Scott Durbin? I don't remember his first name, the guy. Uh, he was on American Idol and he sang with Quiet Riot. He has his new solo record coming out called uh, Screaming Steel. I mean, I just can't get into this, no matter how hard I try. I, I don't know, like every heavy metal cliche that you could think of, this guy has created. I mean, he was born well after the whole heavy metal scene kind of died out in the early 90s. And like, when you listen to the record, his voice doesn't even sound like it belongs with the music. Like, it sounds like he's singing and the music is in the background. And plus, if you listen to it, I mean, it's the most stereotypical music you could think of. I can't play the whole song. I don't think I'd make it through it, but uh, this is Screaming Still. I'll play a couple of seconds of it, maybe 30 seconds of it. Tell me that this does not sound like Iron Maiden to a T. If you didn't think, <laughs> if you didn't know who it was, you would think it was Iron Maiden. It's just a poor version of Iron Maiden. So here's Screaming Steel. I'll play like 30 seconds of it. Let me know what you think. That's about all I can get through. So, tell me that's not Iron Maiden. I mean, even the bass plane is a complete ripoff of Steve Harris. I don't know, but it's crazy. All right, let's get on something off of uh, the Child's Play record. Let's do Feel It, and then we'll get right on the line.
And that actual music is supposed to sound like. Let's get up. Oh, how do you like that? Ray called it just in time. Ray, this is Mike. Can you hear me? Uh, this, this is Mike. This isn't Ray. Oh, Mike, how are you? I was going to give Ray a call. I mean, I have to dial out to him. Okay. Uh, yeah, he just gave me this number to call in. But okay. Do I need to hang up? Uh, let me see here. You know what? Let me call him, and I'll call you back, and I'll okay. connect all of us together. Let me just get the number. Okay. 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 You got it. Uh, Mike, I'll call you back in two minutes with Ray on the line. I'll connect both of you. All right, thanks. Take care. Bye. All right, let me uh, get Ray on the line, and then we'll uh, get Mike on there with him. So hang on one second here. I wasn't expecting that. All right, here we go. Hey, man. Ray, this is Mike. You're on the air live. How are you? Hey, man. How's it going? Yeah, I'm I figured it looked like a restrict. Oh, I don't know any restricted numbers, so I figured it must be you. Yeah, somebody <laughs> else said that. I don't know how they come up, but uh, I know uh, Mike just called in. I had to hang up on him, so I can get you on the line. Let me uh, dial him back so we can connect both of us and uh, get everybody talking here. All right, cool. Hopefully, I wrote the number down the right way. We're in New York. Where are you located? Oh, you're in New York. Okay. Yeah. Hence the, hence the accent. <laughs> yeah, that's the Brooklyn. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's it. the that's a Brooklyn. Okay, let's see if we get him on the line. All right. Nah. I think I wrote the wrong phone number down. Uh, he'll probably call back. So what happened? You accidentally just like clicked him off or something? I you know what it is. He called in, and I was trying to call out to call you. So I said I'll call you back so I can connect all three of us on a conference call. And I hung up on him. And I thought I wrote the number down the right way. My eyes are getting dead. That's what happens when you have a high school education. You can't figure these things out. <laughs> so so hopefully, ho- hopefully Mike is listening, and I'll call in. I'll, I can get the number over here, maybe. Oh, you know what? I'll do it this way. Hang on. Just bear with me one second, and we'll get him. We'll get him connected right now. Okay. Yeah, I have it right here. I, you know what? I'll take it off for of the other thing. Okay. Let's try that. Maybe this will work. Nope. I feel really bad now because <laughs> I want to think I hung up on him. Oh, that's cool. I, I have it here, but you probably don't want me to say it over the air. I, I have so it on my it. phone. I'm just trying to make the connection, and it's just not working for some reason. Oh, okay. It's a 208 number? Yeah. Idaho number? Oh, hang on. I got him right here. Mike, you there? Yes, I am. I'm sorry. I kept trying to get you. Yeah, I, I wrote the number down too quick, and I <laughs> I got it wrong. Oh, that's okay. Okay. Uh, I probably wasted the time on this whole thing, huh? No, nah, no. Nah, we got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. 
It's okay. not Rush. And listen, such a big fan of Child's Play. I, I actually still have that original record from back in 1986 that I paid a, a small fortune for from my uh, import company here in New York back in the day, which was like 10.99, which is nothing now. But back then, that was a lot of money for a kid. Oh wow! How did you get? Yeah. How did you get that record back east? That's you know there was only five hundred of those made. Well, there's a, actually a little controversy on whether there was five hundred or a thousand, but there's hardly any of those out there in the world, so they're really tough to come by. So I'm surprised you have one back there. We uh, our, my record store, which was Zigzag Records, we had another one called Titus Oak. They used to find everything and bring it to. I mean, I don't know how they half half the bands I came across in the eighties. I you know, which are big bands now, where nobody's back then. They would just come come across everything. It was it was in the bin one day. Only one of them, and I just grabbed it. I saw like the logo, and that because that's all you could go by back then. It was like what the album cover looked like, or or the band's logo, and I still have it in my collection till now. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, well, you did no, that we on have your own. At, we have- we have people asking for us for those all the time, and none of us have any. You know, we've each got our own original copies that are trashed, you know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I took one on it and used the digital turntable and kind of burned some MP3s, and I send people, you know, MP3s over, you know, whatever, uh, Google Google Drive or whatever. But, um, but, yeah, there's just none of those things around. I actually had a guy last week uh, – asking me for one because there was one in a, a used record store down here in Boise, Idaho, and it's, they want 350 bucks for the thing. And the guy's like, hey, man, can I, get, can I get a better deal on one of these? And I'm like, I don't have any. You know, nobody's got them. So, no, those were really tough to come by. Wow, $350. I think I might dig mine out of the collection. And, uh, <laughs> sell no. but, it, I, but, but listen, no I have good news for you because somebody wants to re-release this record very badly, a very well-known label, and I'm going to reach out to you after the show to tell you all about it, see if you guys are interested. Okay. But uh, like, like I said, such a fan. I mean, the band goes. I mean, you think of Idaho in the '80s. The only bands I can remember besides you guys was a band called Chaos and a band called Licks. I don't remember any other bands coming from the state, at least in the you know in the underground scene or the, in the in the heavy metal genre. I mean, how was it? How did the band come about? You know, in 1980, 81. Um, man, we just started get together and jamming uh, with some of our guys from different high schools and stuff got together um mitch hoyt who passed away a couple of years ago i don't know if you knew that but yeah he kind of he kind of started the whole thing um and got a hold of myself and then troy nickel who he played with uh in a high school band there and we just started jamming and, and writing stuff right out of the gate uh most of those songs on that record came together really quick um you know it was just one of those things where it's like you're young and you're hungry and you're there was this place we had to jam it was grandma's barn and it was this sweet little old lady out on maple grove that let us set up and jam in her barn and we just sat out there and wrote music for a couple of years uh you know we did that record and then even even after that we had you know a, a lot of other originals and there was really not too many other bands doing originals around here. There's another. I don't. Have you seen that book that came out called Rusted Metal? No, I want to get that. It's mostly about the north, uh, the north uh, west metal uh, scene, right? Yes, it's got every band, all the northwest metal scene bands, bands I've never even heard of from you know here, Oregon, uh, Washington State, Northern California, and uh, so there was a band called Passage that came out out of here in Boise. I don't know if you heard of them or not, but they had a record out. And uh, other than that, there was really not a lot of original material coming out of here. So, you know, and we were pretty heavy at the time. We, 
and in fact, Mike, the our singer who's on the phone now here, that's how we met him is doing Battle of the Bands. Um, Child's Play did uh, a thing at a show or a place here called the Whiskey River, and uh, Mike was in a band. I think it was called Sarge, right, Mike? No, the, well, the band was called Fro that I was in at the time. Oh, and, okay. And we—that's how I got to know these guys—is getting our butt kicked in the Battle of the Bands <laughs> final <laughs> against Child's Play. Uh, Mike, was it well, hard to be? Yeah. Was it hard to be an original band back then? Considering that you know the scene was just kind of taken off, and everybody was doing covers because that's you know how you played. Well, that, that's that's all I had played up to that point, and. Uh, these guys had laid the groundwork. You know, they'd started the band. They had Kurt Caldwell, who is uh, the singer on that record. I took his place. They parted ways not too long after the record was released. And so I came and auditioned. Um, and I walked into a really nice situation. I didn't have to pave the way for, you know, it was really hard to establish yourself in Boise playing original music and these guys had already done that true but now you're in the band i mean how do you take a, how do you look at the music how do you approach the music because there was somebody else singing it before you do you try to recreate what he did to keep the sound uh, you know the same as on the record or what people were familiar with or do you add your own flavor to it i i tried to do as much justice to kurt's vocals as i could um we have a little different singing style but not that different um and Kurt's a, I have tremendous respect for him as a singer. He's a great rock vocalist. Um, but then shortly after I joined the band, we started writing new material. We, we actually re-recorded that first toy album with my vocals on it. Um, and I'm not even sure why we did that, but, but we did that. And then we started writing a bunch of new material and, and, uh, over the, course of years did record that material as well yeah um, but yeah i think the i think what happened was kurt left so so soon after the the record was recorded it hadn't really we've been getting a little bit of airplay here and there but not a ton so we're like hey why don't we just haul mike back to seattle and let him lay well, we kept the same music tracks and let mike just overlay new vocals over them you know this, and like I said, there was hardly any copies of that record out there. So, um, anyways, we never really re-released it or anything, but we started getting, you know, doing the the stuff that we were sending to the radio stations uh, with Mike's vo- vocals on the tracks, and uh, worked out really well. Mike just went down there and killed it. So, yeah, perfect. Well, you know, in the beginning, you were saying that, you know, you spent the first couple of years, like, rehearsing and, and putting songs together and stuff like that. That's an awfully long time. I mean, were, were there any live shows in between that period? It was just strictly trying to hone the sound of a band. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand the question. Between what time? Between oh, the time... you were saying when the band first, when you first started the band and everybody got together, that you spent a couple of years, you know, writing music and rehearsing, uh, and that was all you guys were doing. So for the first maybe oh, three yeah. or four years of the band, really, you didn't play live or try to get a, any recordings out. You were just really trying to come up with the sound of the band during that whole time frame? Yeah, you know, it's like Mike said, it was tough to, to really establish yourself with originals around here. Um, the bars at that time, you know, now Boise music scene is huge and there's just massive places to play originals and everybody loves all the new stuff coming out. At that point in time, there was really no place to do that. When we 
when we did Battle of the Bands, people said, you can't go and do Battle of the Bands and play originals, you know, because we had all these bands touring through here that were, you know, they were great cover bands. And we're like, well, that's what we're doing, so we're going to go do it. And, you know, but to, to your question, it's like, so what we were doing is playing parties. Like, we didn't really have any a lot of places to play, so we were playing friends' parties and playing in people's backyards, playing at, you know, if some little bar wanted, would let us play out and I remember vaguely, it's been a long time, it's like 40 years ago, right? So it's like, you know, I remember playing some of these little podunk Idaho bars where we'd set up out on some, you know, a couple of, of pallets and, <laughs> you know, go for it. And uh, yeah. that's what we, that's what we did. Other than Battle of the Bands. And then we started playing this place called the Mardi Gras, which was probably the largest place you could do that kind of stuff around Boise here. And, but we didn't play there very often. We could only do that once every few months, and uh, you know. But it was a it was a place you could get it. You could bring I don't know how many. That thing probably held seven hundred to a thousand people or something like that. But it was that was the biggest place we could really do. And to, and then we left like right after in 1988. We got out of Boise and went down to L.A. and did the whole L.A. thing for a year. I mean, you, and then you know, grunge came in, and it was done. Oh yeah, I know. It's true. I mean, with, the, with today with the internet, you know, you could write songs, put your music out there, and people all over the world could hear it. You know, within within seconds. But, but back then, in the eighties, you really had to make your bones where you came from and start locally. And if you came from a place where there wasn't enough of a scene or a thriving scene or enough of an opportunity for a band to play live, and it had to be really difficult. But you did go to L.A. But it was like you said, it was kind of late in the scene. By eighty-eight, hair metal had exploded all over the place. Then grunge came in, and you guys did go to. Seattle after that, didn't you? Yes, we yeah. actually we got to Seattle and swapped out a guitar player. So uh, uh, Mitch was no longer with us, and we added another guitar player uh, named Jeff Morgan. And we recorded another record down there under the, and we changed the name of the band to Big City. And uh, so there's a studio in Redmond. Uh, Redmond, Washington, called Triad, where Queensrÿche did all their first work, and uh, we actually—I don't know if he contacted us or we contacted him or what—but we wound up uh, doing another record there under the name of Big City. Uh, it was a 13-song project, and that was never released. The band kind of, you know, went different directions after that for various reasons. Like by '92, we played around. We played the Big City music around the Seattle area. We were all living there. For a few years, and uh, but the, like I said, you know, the grunge thing was just rampant. So, and that was Seattle. So it was like, you know, we only had a couple of places where where we were having any success with that. Um, but but yeah, so there's this big city record out there too that was never released. I've got all the tracks digitally. I think Mike does too. If if you want, if you want, I might send them to you. I would love um, to hear them. I mean, musically, what did Big City sound like? I mean, what was it changed from? You know, Charles played a Big City on, on the music side. Uh, I think it, it wasn't as heavy. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say it. It became uh, more like I would say in the in the vein of a White Snake, Dawkinish, kind of more melodic, less less kind of chant anthem type hard rock songs but um we we got a little more creative and uh and then that that recording we were doing that album um we had just kind of 
made a deal, signed a deal with a startup label called Sounds of Seattle Records. Um, and then about halfway through the recording, that thing sort of fizzled. And, and that's right when we were recording that album. That's when grunge was really hitting. And I kept going, you know, oh, that's a phase. You know, <laughs> I'm going, that's not, we're, our music's <laughs> still going to be around. And, um, but it came and, and the 13 songs we recorded actually just turned into kind of a, we, there's a six song EP that we ended up just self-producing. And, and I think there were 500 copies of that made um, that we were just trying to, you know, market that the shows we were doing it, but it, it wasn't terribly long after that, that the band sort of dissolved and um, we kind of went our separate ways. Yeah, I, I mean, you think about. I mean, grunge kind of was a phase, but it was a phase that took everything else, took everything out with it when it came yeah. when it came in, it wiped yeah, everything yeah. out. And then as fast as it came in, it was gone. And I don't know, like you know, when metal started to make a comeback, hard rock and heavy metal made a comeback maybe twenty years ago. It was a slow build up, and then it became really popular again. Never going to be like it was in the eighties, but there's a lot going on in the scene today. I don't see grunge making that comeback. I think people had the fill of it, and it's kind of done with. But it really, I mean, it just wiped everything out. I mean, it's just amazing how that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, and, I, and I, I be... the... go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. I was just gonna say at the at the time, like I couldn't stand it. It was driving me nuts. It was all this di- really deep, you know, low tuning. They detuned everything, and it was just this heavy. I was just, you know, but now, like later on in my life, I really enjoy it. Like I, I, I still drag out my, you know, uh, Temple of the Dog and and. Uh, Allison Chains, all of it, you know. In fact, I'm do, I'm playing in a tribute band here in Boise now. We do uh, Stone Temple Pilots, which I don't know if they're considered grunge, but uh, it was kind of during a later part of that thing. But I still love that material now, and I I just couldn't stand it. And I never, I was like Mike, I was like, oh, this is just a phase. This is never going to stick, <laughs> yep. you know. Yep. But uh, I had no appreciation for it at all. And then later on, you know, when you started kind of really digging into it and, and playing it, it was like, you know, this is some really cool stuff. So so I don't hate it. It was just a, it's just a weird deal. Yeah, it's like everything else. Life. As the years go on, your tastes change. You know, you listen to things in it from a different angle and a different perspective. And, and you realize how good some of that stuff was at the time. But when you're in a band that kind of gets wiped out by it, you're like, all right, I'm <laughs> I'm not into this stuff, but I mean, Charles Play did have a good 10 year run, at least a good 10 year run. I mean, you guys kind of did everything on your own, even from the beginning. I mean, you even put the record out on your own, which was kind of unheard of that at that time. Most bands didn't release their own records, you know? It was a very expensive proposition to do, and you guys did do that. Well, that that was a weird deal. It was like the rest of the band is we're all Boise people, right? Like, we didn't know how to do any of that, but Kurt Caldwell had he was a radio dj at here in boise for years at i think j105 or whatever it wasn't j105 mike yeah 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 j105 he was the rock dj there and but he came he was when he got out of high school he moved to la and he was a dj in la for a year so he had a bunch of contacts and he knew kind of how that scene worked and then he moved back to boise and when we went and recorded all the tracks on that record, that was supposed to be for a demo. Like that was never intended to come out and get pressed on the vinyl. And Kurt took the tapes and got and took them to his contacts in LA. And he had that thing pressed and done. I think he said, Hey, I'm doing this. Everybody kick in whatever, 
a couple hundred bucks or whatever it costs. Everybody kicked in a few hundred dollars, and he went and had those things made. Um, Mitch had a guy here in Boise that did all, all the artworks. I don't know if you've ever opened that thing, but inside that thing is a sleeve that has all the lyrics to the songs on it and pictures and all kinds of, you know, the stuff that people love about, you know, collecting vinyl and having stuff like that. But he, he basically, him and Mitch kind of took that upon themselves to, to do that with that. And the producer that reproduced that, we never really even had his permission because he had the producing credits on that thing. And he was just like, Oh my God, that was not ready to be pressed yet. You guys. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so anyways, it, it's all history now, but, uh, it, it was kind of weird how that worked. But I think the, the, like I said, the band itself, we didn't know how to do any of that, but Kurt, Kurt Caldwell was kind of responsible for, for making that, that thing actually land on vinyl. Yeah, you know, hitting it big in any band is like like, like the lottery, like a one in a million shot. You have to be in the right place at the right time. All the stars have to align. But I always thought you guys had so much going on. I mean, you had the look. The songs were there. They were accessible to a lot of people. I mean, you know, people that went to hard rock, AOR, heavy metal. There was a little bit of something for everybody in your music. And I always thought that was an amazing thing that you could appeal to such a different audience with, with, you know, one record. And I don't know if that was an intentional thing or it was just the way you guys were writing at the time. Yeah, I think it was just the way we were. I don't know if we really even knew what we were doing. We were just cranking out <laughs> stuff that we really loved. I mean, you know, Mitch Mitch really deserves most of the credit for as far as all the songs on that record. He just had, you know, the songs like Rock Time and One Step, um, you know, those anthemish kind of songs. Like, Mitch just had a knack for that. He, uh, he was a huge Kiss fan. Like, he loved Kiss. Um, so, it's like, some of those just real basic rock, riffs ea you know <laughs> he, he was just very good at cranking those out and we were cranking i think the first two years we must have wrote probably 40 songs out there in grandma's barn you know and those are the the ones that landed on that vinyl were just ones that i i think between us and the producer said okay these are the best ones and 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 we'll put these you know we'll keep these but but you know that's kind of that's kind of how it. But I didn't know if we really intentionally we weren't saying oh this is a hit or that you know when we were doing the live stuff when we opened up with the song like like Rock Time, I mean that song you, the whole freaking place would be screaming Rock Time during the choruses of those and one step and you know uh, so they turned out to be kind of anthemish songs, but I don't know if we really intended them to be. I'm, Mitch probably intended them to be that way. For for me, I was just like jamming on it, just digging it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Well, I know you said you had more songs. I mean, what are the chances of them ever seeing the light of day? I, we didn't record any of the other ones. There's, I think there's probably... I think there's a couple of old tapes laying around uh, like live videotapes that have like old VHS videotapes. Actually, Mike just got done uh, taking and converting a bunch of those to digital, but th those probably have some of those songs on them that never made the record, but there's really, yeah, that... go ahead. Some of those, well, some of those videos that I, I just recently watched, um, there are three, three shows that I had not seen since the eighties. Uh, we're playing songs on there. I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it was, it was interesting. Cause I go, Oh yeah, I kind of, 
I remember when we wrote that, but I couldn't remember they were, had left my mind until I saw those videos. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was really cool to kind of look back and go, oh, wow. You know, and, and um, but it, I can tell you, like talking about the, when you were talking to Ray about the appeal of some of those songs on that record, I can tell you, because I was a fan before I was a member of the band, and I would watch these guys, and um, they just had, um, with, by the time I joined the band, we were able to kind of use the audience as a gauge as, you know, we were always writing, and we would let the audience kind of decide for us when we'd play out whether these songs were going to work, but... Um, yeah, I was I was looking up at these guys, going, "Holy crap!" I mean, they, they were great live, and um, and I was really happy to become a part of that. It was kind of like a a dream come true for me. Sure. Do you think if the band had started in L.A. or went to L.A. from the very beginning, you know, you might have had a better shot? I don't know. It's hard it to say. Depends on. Yeah, it's like the the thing about us running into each other in Boise is uh, even coming back here. So, so I lived in Seattle for years. I just moved back here in 2016, but when like living down in LA and Seattle, there's so many musicians. It's almost impossible to run into. You have to be really lucky to run into guys that, uh, you know, are wanting to do what you want to do. Whereas in Boise back in the day, um, the, I, I don't know. I think the population of Boise at that time was, maybe 120,000 people. So it was like the, mm-hmm. the people in town that, that could do what you want to do, there wasn't, there was a handful of them. So that allowed us to come together, I think, where I, whereas if I think we were in L.A. or something, I don't know, man, those guys mix and mash. Like there's new guys coming in and out of everything down there, you know, because there's so many musicians. So I think being in Boise actually helped kind of foster you know, what we did at, at that time. True. Now that you but said, there was, it's hard to say. You said 120,000 people in Boise, and I really want to move there because I have 120,000 people just on my block. <laughs> I well, I don't know what the population is now. It's probably, it's, it's growing. I moved back here in 2016. I could not believe it. It's like, it's huge now. We have yeah. this big music festival every year called Tree Fort, and there's all kinds of venues, and the music scene here is just insane. Boise, like BSU, the college, you know, the football team kind of yep. took off. So a lot of people, a lot of people wanted to come play for BSU. And so the college scene downtown is just crazy. So there's, there's so many places to play now. Um, it's a, it's a dream come true for, for musicians here. You can play anything, any kind of music you want. There's a crowd here for it. We have a huge country scene, um, whatever you want. You know, we have, a, we have our own knitting factory here now. Um, which is a just a great venue to play. We have a new Tree Fort Music Hall, which came out of the Tree Fort Music uh, thing that did every year. And that, the new Tree Fort Music Hall, I haven't played there yet, but it's it's amazing. Jeff's played there a couple times. Um, Everything changes in time. I mean, did you think people forgot about the band as the years went on and the decades wore on? Because all of a sudden, like, there's this resurgence. Everybody's looking for these bands that were once, you know, on the top ten list. So, did you think people forgot about Child's Play? It's funny you say that because a lot of people still talk. Well, first of all, at this age group, a lot of people die. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, so a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of our fan base is gone now, right? So it's like, so, but there, but there is still. We did a reunion here for Treefort in 2017. Um, they had a, a thing called um, the History of Boise Music, and they they so Treefort has all these different venues and these different bands come in from all over the world and play. And they asked us to do this History of Boise Music thing at, at a venue called the Linen Room. And uh, and it was packed. There were still tons of people that came uh, just to see Child's play, you know. And we're a bunch of old dudes up there now trying to do this. And it was the first time I'd played in 20 years. Um, and so I was nervous as hell just going, what are we doing here, guys? We're like in our, you know, late 50s, early 60s. And we're out here playing this heavy metal stuff. But uh, but no, there is still a, there is still an audience for it here. And since you bring that up, like two weeks from now, Jeff, Troy, myself, and Mike are going to meet. And there are a couple of people here in town that want us to do a re a child's play reunion uh, for the veterans. There's a veterans administration here, and one of our old managers, her name was Marnie, passed away year before last and her sister is now taking over this veterans administration thing and she managed us and she before she died she had told her sister that she would have loved to have seen child's play play again and so her sister wants us to do this veterans fundraising thing out in a park in this town called Emmett so we're going to get together in a couple weeks here and talk about um, doing a quick reunion this year before we're too old, all too old to do it that would be fantastic. I hope you guys videotape it. I mean, is it going to be just a four? I mean, Mitch is no longer here. Are you bringing in another guitar player? Is it just going to be, you know, without him? Don't know yet. That, that's what we're going to talk about. You know, we did Child's Play with only Jeff Fultz for probably a year or two. We didn't have a, a second guitar player. So it's just, uh, you know, Jeff and I on instruments and uh, so we could do it for a piece again, but there's all kinds of stuff spinning around like people love some of the old classic rock stuff where there's a there's a there's talk about maybe throwing a keyboard in there and and doing some old classic rock stuff along with some of the child's play stuff there's you know so it's all kind of up in the air right now uh but i like i said we're going to get together here in a couple weeks and talk about it and see what see what we come up with but uh, i'm hoping that gets the juices flowing to maybe keep it going a little bit you know i mean maybe not so much on the live front but at least maybe looking at some of those older songs and you know re-recording them or recording them for the first time sure well the the, the funny thing is we we all live back in boise i mean we had all left at, at some point and somehow we all kind of trickled back here jeff was in boston for a number of years ray was in seattle i came back to idaho from seattle troy's here um we all play we all still play just in different bands <laughs> and and but Jeff and Troy and Ray kind of play in in some different configurations of of a few different tribute bands uh, they're still playing and Ray and I played in a cover band a few years back together for a while but uh I think we can still do it uh, we're not dead yet but <laughs> 
It gets a little harder as we get older, but I'm sure you guys are going to make it work out. Yeah. And, and and Ray and Mike, I'm going to let you go now because I want to play some more music, and we're going to end tonight's show in about 15 minutes. So, I mean, I hope something more comes out of Child's Play. I'm going to reach out to you in private after the show to give you a message from somebody about the material, and I'm hoping that maybe you guys can work something out. But it would be great to see more of Child's Play in the future. I mean, we don't have much of it left, but it would be great to get what we can. <laughs> yeah man oh Thank thanks you, so much for having us on and keep keep track of the fa- of the child's play facebook page because we're going to post some of that stuff that mike just redid digitally some of those old videos and uh any new stuff that's coming out if we do this reunion we'll definitely have a blurb up on the facebook page let everybody know that'll be great mike right you take care of yourself guys It was great talking to you and i hope that it's more in the future beautiful thanks, thanks mike take care all right bye all right, let's get on some more child's play. Uh, let me see. There's so many things to choose from, but how about we do a little scotch on the rocks?
the boss. I am the sword. Ross is heading over to Australia, going down under, and he's taking the Raj with him. And I think there's one other band on the bill. I just don't recall who it is right now. But next week, David Rock Feinstein of the Raj is on the show. So don't forget to tune in. We also have the lovely ladies from Mean Streak. Marlene Apuzo, otherwise known as Marlene Portnoy these days, and Martin's Myung. So don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. We've got a great show. We have to enjoy these live shows for the rest of this year because come next year, uh, as of, uh, what is it here? Looking at the email. June 29th, this week was ending all live shows. So that's a Sunday, too. That kind of sucks. It's the last Sunday of the year. It would have been our, <laughs> would have been one of our holiday shows. So um, the show is going to continue. It just won't be live unless something comes up. I don't know. Maybe there's not enough live hosts on here to fight this, argue with them over it. I mean, I've been complaining about it nonstop, but I'm one voice out of 10,000. So if the other people are going to keep paying and be happy with doing pre-recorded shows, I guess that's what we're going to have to do. My other option would be to go back to Block Talk Radio, but that would cost me three times the amount of money it cost me to do the show on here. I'm not looking to spend more money, so <laughs> we will still be on here on Spreaker. Maybe it'll be a workaround for it. They said they're coming up with some other options. If there's a way of putting on the chat, even if I have to pre-record the show at 4 o'clock and let it air at 6, I'll just go to the chat live and talk with everybody and have a good time. We'll figure it out. You know what I mean? we got a whole year, so we're not going to worry about that right now. But next week, The Rods, Mean Streak. Don't forget to tune in. we got a great bunch of guests coming up in February. Uh, we'll wrap it up here tonight with one new song. Right 5 have a brand new record come out. It's actually really good. I know I talk a lot of shit about them, but not about the band or the musicianship, about them keeping the name. And I do that with a lot of bands that are continuing on with no original members. But it's a really solid record. So off that record, here's Feel the Fire. I want to thank my guests for being on tonight's show. I want to thank Child's Play and Spillage. I'll see you guys next Sunday night. Here's brand new Right 5, Feel the Fire. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Feel the Fire.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.